As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This podcast is powered by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Attention to Details, the podcast. This episode, I think, is going to be super important. One that kind of clarifies my methods and other people's methods for a lot of people. I'm huge in finding a balance in essentially everything I do, but especially from a training standpoint. And this is going to be talking about exactly that. A lot of what you see on my social media, on YouTube, Coaches Academy, just overall from me is live work. So players are playing against defense or doing kind of creative things on the court. And I do think it, it almost gets taken, maybe not in the wrong way, but it gets taken in the sense that that's all I do with with athletes, with groups, with individuals, with players of every level. It's like, oh, it's all live. And yes, while I do emphasize live work on social media, and I'll talk about this a little bit more later, that's mainly because I think that's what's missing in basketball culture or basketball training culture. Like everyone kind of understands the on-air stuff, which again, we'll, we'll get into, so I'm not trying to get ahead of myself, but everyone kind of understands this stuff a little bit better. So I'm trying to put out the content that I find to be a little bit more needed or, or maybe not revolutionary, but can, can cause more change in the basketball training culture, which is typically the more live stuff, the more creative stuff, that people can't just pick up by themselves. Like, yes, we'll still shoot one dribble pull-ups on air to get comfortable with it, but I'm not going to go and post that on social media because that's just the nature of social media. Nobody wants to see that unless it's the top NBA player, which I'm just, it's just not the situation I'm in. So this episode will be talking about how we strike that balance between live training, on-air training, and how it can be different for each athlete, right? If you're an athlete listening to this, it could be way different for you, this balance, than somebody else, than your teammate. As a coach, you could have five players at different uh, points along this spectrum, and you got to cater to each one. So I think it's important to understand that none of this is black and white. It's all gray area. It's all kind of the art of coaching. 
And that's what I'm so excited to talk about today. So let's get into it. So let me just clarify both first. It's pretty simple, but on air training is what I would consider to be whether you're in the gym by yourself or with a group, you're doing something that doesn't include that perception action, quote unquote, component, right? So you're not making a read, you're not making a decision, and then you're not adjusting to playing against defense. And this is going to be important. This is a big piece in the development process. Now, the the opposite of that, uh, and at least in the context of this podcast, is going to be live training. So you're playing against another human, right? You have to make that read. You have to make that decision. Then you're going to have to score, uh, make a pass, play defense on another live human being. So it's on air versus live. Pretty simple. Now, benefits of these, I'll start with that live form of training. Number one is that perception and action that I mentioned. So kind of the basis behind this is, look, everything in a game is going to have a perception and action component. Even shooting the most wide open shot you could possibly shoot is going to have some sort of perception decision and action because you have to read that you are open right you have to you have to to perceive that you're open you have to feel dang am i too tired to shoot this is this the right context to shoot this where are my defenders where are my teammates you have to make that decision to actually shoot it and then you act right so it's not it's not pre-planned now when we do this form of training this live training we get the benefit of not having pre-planned moves and not having pre-planned drills right so we integrate this perception and action component that we get in the game that encompasses everything we do in a real game in our training as a result we start to read the defense a lot better we start to make a lot better decisions we start to develop a lot better feel for the game because everything we're doing has this perception and action all right number two second benefit is it's just more realistic and this is i'm thinking more in terms of the slight adjustments that you make like a lot of what we do on air is super clean cut. Like your feet are going to be perfect because you don't have to adjust. It, there's no defense to force you to adjust. You're shooting maybe with a lower set point because you don't have to shoot over somebody. Whereas when you're playing against defenders, they're going to force you to adjust. They're going to force you into these kind of weird situations where maybe I'm shooting a one dribble pull up with defense. Well, maybe I don't have time to get that right foot all around. If I'm going to the right, Maybe I have to stop that right foot a little bit early. Now I'm shooting from a slightly staggered position. This to me is a little bit more realistic in a game or to a game just because this is going to happen. We're going to have to adjust to the defense. And as a result, it's never going to be, not never, but most of the time it's not going to be super clean cut. So we automatically get this in our live training, right? Number three is competition and engagement. Every single time I ask a group of athletes, and trust me, I've worked with thousands of athletes in this last year, every single time I ask a group of athletes, yo, do you guys want to do, like, work on your moves on air, or do you guys want to compete against other players? 99% of the time, it's compete, 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 are you kidding me? Right, so yes, there's a time to work on those things, but we get a lot better engagement as coaches, and players compete a lot more when they're going against each other. And we talk all the time, go game speed, go harder, well, shit, just put a defender on him and he's going to be forced to go harder or he's getting his shit sent into the stands, All right, It's like the whole saying, you're going to run faster when you got a lion or like a cheetah behind you chasing you. It's kind of the same situation here. It's like using a constraint, which is just another defender, to make you go or to make the athlete go a little bit harder. And just having more fun with it as well, being more engaged. Uh, players typically, when, when we come in and we start with some competitive stuff the rest of the workout is much better just because it 
kind of gets those competitive juices flowing and they have a lot more fun with it. Lastly is, and I think this is a super underrated one that I never really hear talked about, is it's a great way to improve your defense. I had a couple really respected trainers uh, mention that I shouldn't have my players playing much defense in my sessions. Like, why would they pay you to play defense on other players? My thing is, well, it, defense is half the game, and we get coaches all the time who are saying this, this player can't play because they don't defend well enough. Why is training defense in a live setting a bad thing? I don't understand. Maybe you guys can tell me, but <laughs> you're playing in a lot of live situations here. Right, you're getting a ton of different looks defensively, whether it's a contested shooting, whether it's a small side of game, whether it's a three on three, whether it's a uh, finishing at the rim drill. You're learning how to defend a lot of different situations here. And as a result, you'll probably become a better defender, which is huge. If you can become a better defender, you're improving half of your game, theoretically, or at least 50% roughly of what you're doing in a game. So to me, this is huge. Now, the more traditional or on air approach, what are the benefits to this? Number one is just confidence and feel. A lot of the time when you do something uh, on air, you're able to just get a, a feel for it and develop it a little bit more quickly, which isn't always the best thing in my opinion. Um, but I do think that this is a, a super good or a super relevant benefit um, to consider. And then the confidence standpoint, everyone knows like if you just shoot your shots on air, you're making a little bit more, you're able to develop more confidence here. All right. I think this next one is the most valid one that I see at least, and that's just you get more reps, right? The first point was definitely a little arguable, but that's a story for another podcast. Second one here, you can't argue when you're going in a, like let's say I have a group workout with 10 athletes. If I have them all doing their on-air reps and we're rebounding for them, chances are they're, they're going to get more reps. Just It's going to become higher quantity workouts, right? And I think this is huge. Athletes need repetitions. We need repetitions. Now, I would argue that a lot of the live play repetitions make up for the lack of uh, quantity and their quality because they are more difficult reps. They're spaced out. That's a huge component in learning is just uh, ensuring that we have enough space in between reps to actually learn and, and um, consolidate these motor patterns that we're learning. But... I do think there's a time to definitely just get reps in, uh, get a, a high quantity of reps, and this is what on-air training helps with. Number three is it allows you sometimes to get a slightly more creative, and this could go both ways, but I think sometimes when you're in the gym by yourself, maybe you're doing like a freestyle dribbling drill. You don't have to worry about defense. You're just trying new things. Same thing almost with like a shooting drill. Sometimes if you don't have defense, you're not resorting to the same shots that you could be shooting or that you need to be shooting to make the shot over a defender and compete, you're trying new things because you're not worried about missing it as much, if that makes sense. And then number four, which is a very, very, very valid point here, and one of the things that I consider most is there's less injury risk here, just naturally you're playing against uh, nobody, so probably won't get injured against nobody. Thankfully, in all the times that I've done live training with athletes i've never had anyone get a significant injury like yeah somebody will fall sometimes and like hit their elbow and get back up and be good but knock on wood hopefully you guys can hear me knocking on wood here i haven't had any significant injury yet which is huge um but anyways i i do think when it's controlled when it's constrained when they're doing it the right way 
it's uh it's pretty easy to not get those acute injuries but what i really think about this from is a cns demand standpoint central nervous system so if they're always making reads if they're always uh playing against other players and having to make these adjustments and having to work in these higher forces yes the demand is going to be higher on the central nervous system and that's something we have to consider especially if they're already playing they're already practicing they already go and play one-on-one after these and now they're reading things and playing at these higher levels of force and speed and, and decision making for three four hours a day chances are they're going to start overtraining because that's a lot for the central nervous nervous system well to deal with so that's something i definitely consider and i'll talk about how i schedule around that uh later on in the episode all right so getting into the implications here we have to consider what each individual player needs right just like in the weight room if an athlete is super strong and they just can't move they're super stiff they're not fluid their stretch shortening cycle is dog shit well i'm probably not going to come in and and squat the the crap out of them like that's already their strength yes we have to keep a strength strength but we got to consider their needs right this is literally anything right if you're working a job and you suck at communication well we're going to do a lot of communication maybe the smartest person in the world so maybe we scale back on that it just this is this is a constant everything and i think what we've seen so much on social media is like this is the right way to do it it's only live training or it's only on-air training everything we do should be a consideration or should involve a consideration of individual constraints and then evaluate and decide the training means based on that so for example pros and high level players who have been playing forever and have a ton of playing experience probably need less of live training they've already filled that perception action bucket a ton as a result they have a great feel for the game we don't really need to work a crazy amount on making reads yes we do especially when we're adding a new skill there still should be perception action but they can definitely not only survive with a lot more on-air training but actually succeed more and thrive off of this they can visualize it better um my man pjf just posted a podcast and one thing that he mentioned that was very valid was look best players in the world can probably visualize the game better than your average high school or middle school player as a result their on-air training is going to be a lot more transferable to a game and that's super true that is probably one of the better points that i've heard um and i've noticed it even with my players like when an athlete is able to truly visualize what would be going on in a game you definitely get closer to that perception action or that uh, realistic nature of the game. And as a result, we would probably need to form less environments around this athlete to actually have them see these things, right? They can kind of picture it in their mind. Um, So that's definitely a good point to consider. Also, consider that these players typically play a lot of pickup during the offseason, and they play really high-quality pickup. Now, not always. I've talked to some super high-level players Um, including an NBA player and and other professional players who are like, yeah, I try to stay away from pickup during the offseason because I don't want to get hurt. And my thing is like, well, if you stay away from pickup, then you're going to get back into the demands or into the very high demands of a real game, of a professional game, and you're probably going to get hurt then simply because your body is just not adapted to that stimulus anymore, that super potent stimulus of playing in a professional basketball game. So that's kind of beside the point, but I do think 
high-level players should be playing a good amount of pickup during the season, or sorry, during the offseason, especially if they can find good games. That's partially a reason, but it's also because when you're playing pickup, that's probably the best form of quote-unquote live training you can get. It's super variable. You can still work on your stuff. You're playing in a in, a ve- in an environment that is very, very, very uh, representative of what you're going to get in a real game. Five-on-five, five, obviously, even three-on-three, three, but especially five-on-five. Five. And as a result, you get a lot of your perception action that way, and you don't have to do as much live training to supplement this. And again, this is what I see in a lot of professional players or even just super high-level college players, etc. So I think the best way to classify this is if they're getting a ton of unstructured play already, they don't need it. Now, the one thing I would be cautious of here, notice how I mentioned the word unstructured, not structured, but unstructured, is a lot of players, especially these days with with travel ball, um, even with high school, I know a lot of schools are playing 30, 40 games now. If the only play that they get is structured play where there's a coach and they're telling them not to explore to stick to their guns, which is true. I mean, you got to win games. But if if they're only playing structured play, and they're not getting much unstructured play. So pickup games, one-on-one, three-on-three, they need this probably. They need this live training. And the reason I say that is because they need a chance to explore. They need times where they are willing to make mistakes in their training and get repetitions here, right? If I'm in a pickup game, I can say, hey, I'm going to shoot five one-dribble pull-ups. I'm going to shoot five middies in this, in this pickup game because that's what I want to work on. If I'm in a real game, Unless you're the best player in the world, you ain't, you ain't working on your stuff in a real game. You're trying to get buckets. You're trying to win that game. So that's why I say if it's only structured play, that's where we have to consider, all right, they probably need more live training. If they're already getting a lot of unstructured play, well, we can probably go a little bit more on air. All right. All right. Now, a couple more things to consider about when we would need this live training. Number one, if they freeze up in games, if they don't know how to read the defense, which is honestly 90% of athletes that I see at a high school level or below. Um, It may not be as exaggerated for some, but a lot of the players I work with come to me, hey, I don't have confidence in a game. Hey, I I just feel like I can't make the reads in a game that you know I can't perform and execute the same moves that I make when I'm in the gym by myself in a game. Well, chances are because you're doing that on air, you don't have the perception and action integrated into that, and you need to play more. You need to be in these live environments more, right? You need to just play against defense more. And some of that would come with just telling them to go play good pickup ball. But I do think that the benefit of live training is that we can get them in the gym and focus on certain things. As a coach, we can design the practice environment to say, player comes up to me and goes, I can't do this crossover or this, I can't play off the hang dribble like I would want to based on how skilled I am with it in an open gym. I'll say, all right, you're going to play against one-on-one, whatever, against another player, and you can only play off the hang dribble, right? Now he's getting repetition without repetition here, so he's getting the same environment. He's getting repetition with that hang dribble, but every single rep is different, and he's having to read that defense, and that's where I've seen players take huge leaps in their games, huge leaps, especially as high school players who just don't have the best feel for the game. They need that style of trading, like period they need it and i think these days with just how the culture is going where it's shifting mainly towards structured play and then training by yourself and seeing like social media tips and going and just doing moves by yourself 
I get way, way, way more players even than I did four years ago who come in and, and kind of present this problem to me. And it's definitely not just athletes that kind of present that issue. Obviously, it's going to depend, again, based on your needs analysis. But I do think that at least a slight majority of your training as a high school player, as a middle school player, even as a college player, or even as somebody who just plays ball for fun, I do think at least a slight majority, so whatever, 60%, I don't want to throw out a a perfect number because again it's all arbitrary based on what you really need but I would say for the majority of hoopers who aren't worth million dollar contracts at least 60% of your training should be live or should at least have some sort of reaction so it's not scripted again that still leaves what 30-40% of your training to be on air but I do think at least the majority of your training should be with defense and mind you I've done small sided games with pros who feel like it's the best thing for them i've done live work with pros who are like yo if i could get this three days a week and some of them i do get them but some of them just kind of stop by the gym and we do you know for a week uh one or two days of small sided games or or contested shooting or different things against defenders even just creative stuff that's not full defense they're like yo this is something that i've never felt before uh this is going to be game changing if i can you know implement this into my game and I've seen really good results with players who, who have done it and even at a pretty high level. They just haven't been exposed to it beforehand. And one of the questions that I get a lot is like, well, if this works so well, then why don't we see the best players in the world do it? Number one, again, they're on super, super, super valuable contracts. If they do get hurt, it's a lot more to play around with than you know a high school athlete who can probably bounce back and not have to worry about losing $30 million. Number two is I think a lot of them just haven't been exposed to it yet, right? I mean, if they're playing pickup, then chances are we can at least implement one day of targeted live training in a professional player's uh, workout regimen during the offseason. And a lot of them just haven't been exposed to this yet. They don't know really how to train live. I'll see group workouts essentially with NBA players, and none of them are even working together in any way, not even collaborating, just like independence. And I feel like we're not taking advantage of the potential competitive and collaborative environment that we could breed when we have really fucking good players in the gym. And it doesn't have to be NBA players that could also go for professional college, whatever. All right. So how do I structure this in my training? Obviously, it's going to differ. But in general, how do I see this kind of coming into a full training regimen? Number one, I usually only have players This is just speaking from like you know, high school athlete standpoint coming to our gym here at Detail Miami. We usually only have them about two to three days a week. And they're all in groups for the most part. So, like I mentioned earlier, most of that's going to be live. I know that they're probably getting up, and I talk to them about this. I say, yo, go get up your shots when you're by yourself. But you're not going to pay me to get up 100 shots in a group setting when you can go do that by yourself and not have to pay for our membership or pay for the gym time or whatever. We're going to compete. We're going to do things that are actually targeted live work to make sure that you can get the most out of this. So we'll probably go about 70% live. Now, I still use that 30% to do on-air stuff, to kind of manage that load and to help them just get comfortable with things, do like a play, drill, play, which I have another episode about. But most of it's going to be competition, and that's because I know most people are not filling that bucket of targeted live training. And I can still teach through this too. I gave uh, actually two presentations about this in Australia and in Chile about teaching through the game. 
So it's not like I just let these players play and like, all right, well, go do your thing. That's another thing I've gotten. He's like, oh, they pay for you just to compete and, and you know, play one-on-one. Number one, it's not one-on-one. It's, it's, I implement pretty specific constraints to a lot of this stuff. And there are other defenders in there. It's maybe two-on-three or three-on-one. or And even if it's one-on-one, it's different constraints to how they're starting, what shot they got to get into, where they can go what skills we want to target, whether it's at the rim. What, so there's a lot that goes into it. It's not just me saying, yo, go play and being lazy. Trust me on that. There's a lot that goes into it. But I also can teach through these things, right? So if I, if I, you know, going back to the typical one dribble pull-up example, if I see a player who's doing something wrong from maybe a technical standpoint, or I just like, hey, maybe you can take this angle, right? I'm going to tell them that. This way they actually have context with that defender to learn from that rather than me saying on air yo i think maybe taking this angle may be the way to go in a game now they're sitting there looking at me like bro i have no idea how to actually apply this and even if they do again unless they are super good at visualizing as would the top players in the world be unless they're super good at this they have no idea why this is going to happen so they get in the game they don't even do it because it just went in one ear and out the other Whereas if we're doing a live drill, I can now use that as a vehicle to teach them these things. And I think we underestimate how much we can work on technique and applying some of the, the coaching tips that, that we get as an athlete through these games and with defenders because we have that context of a defender, of a more uh, perception-based environment. So mind you, I do teach through these things a pretty good amount. It's not like I'm just letting them go play. All right also want to consider that like i mentioned i only have these athletes for two to three days a week when i have players for more we're not going to do this it's just like going back to what i mentioned about uh on air training being a lot more friendly for the central nervous system i had players for example during the summer academy um, this past summer in in miami we would go five days a week what we would do is monday wednesday friday they would they would be high days so we would go hard in the weight room Monday, Wednesday would be live workouts. Friday would be five on five hooping. Just pick up. Tuesday and Thursday would be low days. So we would go a little bit lighter in the weight room, probably some upper body, active recovery, just movement work. And then we'll go on air training. So again, that kind of comes back to that 60% number, right? We got three out of five days. Pretty sure that adds up to 60%. And they're still getting their the, the mix of both, but I think it helped them, especially guys who stayed for like three to four weeks, help them still feel good at the end of it but they also got the results or the the benefits of both so i think it's always important to just find that balance as always between the two understand what they need in my situation uh that's kind of the balance that i struck and that that's kind of the balance that i'll usually strike with athletes is you know three days a week we go hard uh high days and then the other ones are like low days just to still get our reps in but in a more on-air environment all right now, last thing I want to note here before we get out of here is this on-air training can still be creative, right? It doesn't have to be the traditional block training or the super not very conducive to skill acquisition work that I see very often, right? Like if I'm doing on-air shooting with an athlete, it's usually not that block shooting, it's doing the same shit over and over again. It's going to be 
more creative. It's going to Im implement some variability. It's going to implement challenging certain qualities of those of the skills we're trying to train. Like it's not just going to be all right. You're you're doing on air training for whatever 30, 40 percent of the week. You're just going to stand in the corner and make 50 shots and then move and then make 50 shots and then move and make 50 shots. No, we're still going to challenge the athlete here. We're still going to find some difficulty here. Yes, there's a time and place for that block for that confidence shooting talk about this in another podcast and on a ton of stuff but i do want you guys to realize that this on-air quote-unquote training isn't just the basics of the basics like it's we, we're still challenging these athletes here in that 40 percent on air now if i have live defense here i can go a little bit more like block style where they're shooting the same shot over and over again because every rep's going to be different anyways it's repetition without repetition i can have them shoot a one drill pull up 15 times in a row and not be your standard block shooting and that's because every time the defense will play it a little bit different or you're going to read something or make a slightly different decision your foot's going to be in a different spot you just breathe that repetition without repetition a little bit more when you have that live setting going but that's a story for another time i don't want to get carried away on that hopefully you guys kind of understand what i'm talking about here where you got to understand the benefits of both and how important live training is, but also where on-air training can come into place. You gotta analyze the player's needs and situation. If they're a super valuable contract, well, you probably don't wanna be doing much of this, or not much of this, but as much of this, because money. If, you, if they're playing a ton of unstructured play, then maybe they don't need it as much. But it's very important to include. It's even more important that we find a balance between these two. That's going to be different for everyone. That's going to be different for every coach. Every coach has different styles. I just wanted to get on here and talk a little bit about how I strike balances between these two. It's not only live work. That's a question I get all the time, and hopefully I answered that and did it in a way that's pretty applicable to you as a player or a coach or just someone who's interested in training. So as always, I thank you guys so much for tuning in, listening to me talk. Sometimes I can sound like a crazy man for sure, but glad that i'm able to come on here and clarify things as well stay tuned let me know what you want to hear about next i'll see you next time let's jump into peppa's world of play look for spring flowers hunt for muddy puddles and bravely explore exciting places with peppa play sets peppa pig inspiring kid confidence